the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zayas Where would we be without THC? Side chatters as we continue our adventure and examine our weird reality i think it's about time to revisit that tasty slice of the paranormal pie known as cryptozoology because like it or not thousands of people over the years have claimed to have encounters with everything from bigfoot and dogmen to lizard people and modern day pterosaurs and while i find the subject fascinating one of my biggest complaints about the field is that we're oftentimes digging up stories and accounts from decades or even centuries ago times far removed from our own with entities that should be long gone. But today is a special case, people, because as you may not know, we are in the midst of what seems to be the largest concentration of strange cryptid sightings in my lifetime and probably the largest since that saga of the infamous Mothman of Point Pleasant back in the 60s. As it seems, one or several winged humanoids have taken to the skies of the Windy City and have been seen by far too many people now to be ignored. Well, lucky for us, we have one of cryptozoology's most well-known and respected Fordian researchers and investigators to give us a scoop. His name is Lon Strickler, the man behind the legendary Phantoms and Monsters blog, author of several Phantoms and Monsters books, host of Arcane Radio, mystic at Astral Perceptions, and the guy to talk to when it comes to situations like we have in Chicago. I know I'm psyched to find out what's going on here, as well as with several of the other open and ongoing cases he's got on the books. Ladies and gentlemen, Pennsylvania's own paranormal person of interest, keeper of the Fortean Files and explorer of everything, Lon Strickler, my good man. Welcome to the higher side. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Greg. Yeah, this is a real treat for me. I've been a, a fan of Phantoms and Monsters for probably around a decade now, and I just can't believe we're having such a situation where many people in one area are seeing something like this. And to jump right into it, what's going on in Chicago, and when did this string of sightings first start? We're up to around 30 or 40 at this point, right? Well, right now we're at 40 for the year, and I just put the 40th up yesterday. And actually, this started back in 2011. There were three sightings in the late summer, early fall, and uh, it stretched for about three months. There was a photograph taken in the Plasky Road area, and it kind of looked like well, what the person who the witness saw was a sugar glider, a large sugar glider. You know, a sugar glider is one of those things you sit in your palm of your hand. Yeah, like a flying squirrel. Yeah, a flying squirrel. And this picture, it's hard to tell how big it was, but it had some size to it. But some of the witnesses that we have been getting this year have been saying that some of what they saw looks very similar to that. But then again, there have been a lot of differences in some of these sightings. So our first report, the first report that I saw for this year was in early April. And that was originally reported on MUFON. And it was by a professional woman who was walking her dog in Oz Park 
in Chicago, and she came across this black being about seven foot tall standing in the middle of the park. Hmm. And she didn't know what to make of it. The dog, basically the dog freaked. He tried to stay away, you know, back up behind the witness. And this is Jack Terrier Russell. So, you know, you know, those things are pretty feisty. So, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this thing, she described it as about seven foot high, black in color. And it had wings on its back, folded behind its back. and the wings actually stood about a foot and a half above this thing. So these were pretty good sized wings. So as she stood there and watched it, it turned and it looked at her with these bright red ruby eyes. You know, that was it. She, (laughs) she just had this weird reaction to it and it looked at her. It took off like a rocket, just straight up. And when it got to the apex, it kind of, you know, was still in the air, unfurled its wings, flapped them, and was gone at a pretty good rate of speed. Yeah, it is just so amazing. And uh, I guess I've been hearing some descriptions that are saying an owl man, some that are saying a bat man. What are you hearing more of? Are they equating it more to an owl or more to a bat in most cases? Well, that first sighting was pretty similar to what the Mothman sightings were in Point Pleasant. I've had other similar settings all over the place, but mostly in the Ohio River Valley. Well, anyway, the next couple of sightings after that sighting were described as large humanoid owls, owl men. They were, you know, about the same size, anywhere from six to seven foot in height, 20 to 12 foot wingspan. The both of those, the next two were perched as well, and several witnesses saw it, and it would just flap its wings and take off. But as time went on, the sighting started to be more like a large bat. People even described the wings like it's dragon wings, but that membrane-type wing. But mixed in with those as well were others that had rounded wings, wings that looked like an insect or a butterfly, moth or whatever. But the size really didn't change a whole lot. So, you know, some of them had this red eyes, some of them didn't. There were others that were said to have like a small crest on its head. I had a sighting just a few days ago where it was reported that there was a crest that went from the head and extended along the back of this thing. So... Uh They have missed variations. Right. Yeah, those variations are super interesting. And, I mean, I guess some feathered creatures tend to molt. We could be dealing with a a malting creature that now looks more like a bat than an owl. But I guess I've heard you say, based on the descriptions, it seems like you think there might be actually three different things that have been unleashed on Chicago somehow, right? I think it's at least three. Man. I would even venture to say there may be up to six different ones, but I'm saying I I'm pretty sure it's at least three at this point. Have you been able to triangulate the sightings on the map and try to find like a source for where these things might be coming from a nest, if you will? Yeah, we've tried that. You know, we've taken the sightings and actually put them in chronological order 
and nothing really panned out of that. I mean, though we have had areas where there have been more sightings than others, and of course, there have been a lot of sightings downtown along the lake, but there have been a lot of sightings as well in South Chicago into Indiana. And we've got an interesting area down there that we're looking into as well. So, you know, I, I don't know. These last couple of sightings we had this week were along water, both of them. One was along the Des Plaines River and the other one was along Salt Creek. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, this last sighting was made near Possum Hollow Woods, which is out by LaGrange Park. And the woman who saw this was actually an avid bird and raptor watcher. And that's exactly what she was doing when she saw this thing. She looked up and out over the park, over Salt Creek, she saw this huge, what she described as a huge flying shadow. And, you know, being a bird watcher and knowing the raptors and birds in the area, she was amazed by it. Yeah. And she was getting ready to take a photograph of it. And by that time, this thing took a dive right into the woods. And she said dove so fast, she just couldn't believe it. She'd never seen it dive that quick. And she said when it went into the woods, the birds in the woods just scattered. Hmm. And I asked her, why didn't she go into the woods? Well, actually, she was alongside the road on North LaGrange Road. So... She really actually couldn't go in there unless she went over a guardrail and down a slope. So, yeah, but she stood around waiting for this thing possibly to come out, and it just didn't. But she was on the horn with me in about 40 minutes. <laughs> I love it, man. To, to say that, like, the first sighting is around April, and we've had 40 since then. I mean, this is mind-blowing stuff. Are there any other major commonalities across the sighting spectrum that we could point to that add to the overall credibility for the skeptical ones out there? I guess red eyes does seem to be one that comes up quite often. That's a weird detail to add unless you actually saw something like that. Yeah, I think the sightings that have been seen at night, the red eyes really show up. And I don't hear it that much with the daytime sightings. Makes sense. So that might be one aspect of it. You know, the fact that it does come out during the day and has been seen during the day and is not afraid to be seen. Though it does seem to move off quickly after it's been seen. It, people have been having a double time trying to get a photograph of this thing. You know, they'd have the camera out and it would just take off so quickly. Mm -hmm. Or that it would be at nighttime, not enough light. And some have actually snapped photographs and nothing was seen on it. Damn. So I don't know if that's, you know, something... I believe that there's some type of supernatural aspect of these beings, even though I think the flesh and blood, I think there's something that may actually keep them from being photographed as well. Mm, yeah, that's a popular opinion in the cryptid world. And I have seen those photos that have been posted so far. You're right. A few people have snapped off some shots, but cell phones just are not good at a distance or with moving objects. So you can't Absolutely. really see that much, but I guess, is there any evidence worth mentioning that does go beyond just the reports of sightings? Well, we've had a couple of sketches and that's about it. But I, I tell you, the one thing that has really 
been a big part of this for me is that when we talk to the witnesses, they don't deviate from what their original report is. I've had several reports where the witness would write it down, send it to me by email and, and you know, have me contact them by phone. And they just will not embellish. They just stick to what they originally said and they stay with that. Even after I've tried to get them to embellish the sighting or what they saw, the description, it never deviates. Mm, and that's a good sign. And in terms of commonalities, I guess some other ones are, I've heard in more than one report that the sound it makes is like screeching, similar to train brakes. I've also heard, of course, like you said, six feet tall and with a 10 foot wingspan, that's a pretty on point number to hear from multiple people. And I guess a few others have conveyed a sense of doom or some type of internal feeling. I'm sure it's a scary thing to see, but I guess there are reports of some feeling. I don't know if it's being projected into them or just that's what happens when you see the unknown. You know, some of the earlier sightings, the witnesses had that type of emotion where they felt like some foreboding or fear. The first sighting that we had received that had any sound was on the Calumet River where a man, his son, who were fishing, heard this screeching sound. They said it was like the wheels of a, a train screeching. Hmm. But then we had another sighting in the Auburn-Gresham area of the city where it was actually seen by two police officers that the crowd flagged down. And this thing was on top of a three-story building. And when it took off, they heard a screeching sound. The other sounds that we have heard about was there was an encounter with a man and woman who were down at North Lakeshore Drive, 1400 North Lakeshore Drive. And this thing flew across their path, went up the building, side of a building, got to the near the top and just froze still midair like it was looking through a window. Then it leaned back, took a big dive into the trees. They saw that they were going back toward the building because they were there visiting her mother. And she lived in that building, that condominium. And when they turned the corner to head toward the entrance, this thing descended right in front of them like midair. And the wings were out. And it wasn't flapping its wings. It was just like it was hovering. And they stated that they heard a vibration like, uh, I don't know, they even felt it as well. But it was coming like a humming coming from the legs. The legs were vibrating. Wow. That's the only sound, other sound that we had heard about. That's so interesting because I think possibly that could be a key whenever we talk about multidimensional entities. The idea of portal openings or something is always talked about. And vibration seems to be a pretty big key when it comes to wavelengths and the possible crossing of multiple dimensions. Who knows? But vibration is an interesting detail there for sure. Yeah, it is interesting. I started thinking that this may be an extra dimensional type being early on because around the same time as some of the earlier sightings, there were huge flashes of light being seen south of the city in the area around Chicago Heights. And there was another large flash just across the border into Indiana. 
So, you know, I have noticed before when dealing with cryptids that, you know, there would be flashes of light sometimes, an orb seen during a sighting of like a Bigfoot or some other type of being. Mm-hmm. Or after an investigator would go into the area, they'd see these orbs in the same area. So I don't know if it's related, but I believe it is related. Now, I, I don't know if that's where they originated from. I just don't know. But a lot of these that were seen downtown, they seem to be coming from under one of the overpasses on Lakeshore Drive. So I don't know if that's where they're hanging out or there's some tunnels in that area as well. Yeah. There's a lot of underground that area. So I don't know. Oh, that- I don't, I really don't know. <laughs> That's so amazing, man. And I find this extra exciting because I know Chicago pretty well. And I spent some time with that interactive map you have. And I'm shocked that so many of these sightings are deep in the city. Many of them are right along Lakeshore Drive. I mean, that's a tourist hotspot. I mean, that is a a real corridor of a lot of action there. We have sightings both day and night. That's a little unusual, right? Usually these things are when people are alone in the backwoods somewhere. But to have multiple people sometimes couples seeing these things in the city wow that is unusual most times when i get a report over the years it'll be either one witness or a witness with their kids or you know something like that going down the road a fleeting sighting but no these sightings have been in front of fairly large crowds and several of these sightings have been verified by more than one witness so right yeah, it's, it is unusual. And I got to ask, I would like to think that people have the sense to be able to tell the difference between a bat-human hybrid and something like a person in a wingsuit or a drone. But you got to ask that kind of question. Is there any reasonable explanation for this outside of some cryptid creature? We have looked at every possible explanation. You know, this thing has been seen along the river downtown, along those high buildings. If that was somebody in a squirrel suit, they'd have done a splat on one of those buildings. (laughs) There's just no way they could have stopped and flew across the river, under bridges, over bridges. It it just wouldn't have been possible. As far as a drone, I just don't see that being a possibility because this thing flapped its wings and would turn its head and acknowledge the people that it was going by and come back and do all kinds of strange maneuvers. We actually had a sighting out on the lake where there were two of these things seen together. Wow. And they were doing figure eight and going around each other and stuff and took off. So, yeah, you know, the, the maneuvers that this thing has demonstrated and the way it has flown and the speed as well, you know, and if you had a drone, you'd hear it. So I, I just don't believe that's what it is at all. And as far as wildlife goes, you know, I've had people say, well, it may be a sandhill crane or a blue heron. Well, I haven't seen any six or seven foot cranes. You know, a crane doesn't get any bigger, maybe 30 pounds. And, you know, they don't have a wingspan of 10 foot or more. So No, they also don't really have the shape of a person either. No, no. <laughs> Man, I just love it. And you mentioned earlier that we have a few police officers who have seen it. I feel like that adds a little credibility. They don't want that kind of trouble. But 
In terms of the local media or the local police, how much attention is this getting outside of the cryptozoology community? Are people in Chicago actually waking up to this thing? Or would you say it's more of an under-the-radar media blackout? Well, there's been somewhat of a media blackout, but the residents are getting the word. It's traveling word of mouth. And I've been saying that for the last five or six weeks and I was on the phone with someone just before you call. I, I'm getting anywhere from 10 to 20 calls a day from just regular residents of Chicago wondering what this is, worried about what it is, want to know what I think it is. And, you know, I don't buy into that harbinger of doom theory at all but myself. You know, even if I did, I wouldn't say it. And I try to dispel as much fear as I can with people. But this is, you know, since we had the two police officers who were together, then earlier we had a state police officer and his son near the lakefront see this thing. So, you know, we've had two sets of police officers. We've had city workers who have seen it. I've had city workers who have contacted me, even people who are involved with the political side of the, the city, tell me that City Hall definitely knows about it. Hmm. and the major media is just trying to stay away from as much as possible. Makes sense. Another interesting element that I've heard you talk about is that Chicago tends to get a lot of UFO sightings, or at least a fairly steady amount, but since these owlman, man-bat sightings, these other types of sightings have kind of come to a halt, right? Yeah, that's something that we discovered early. Butch Kowski and I have... You know, he's mostly into UFOs, and we've been keeping an eye on the reporting centers and the sightings in and around the Chicago area and into, over the lake have really waned since it started. You know, there, there was nothing to get on to the CMS, the MUFON CMS, or the New Fork reporter reporting log and see sightings in and around Chicago every day. That just hasn't been going on. Now, I don't know if this is the reason why, right? but it's interesting. And I've had a couple paranormal investigators also tell me that the actual calls to them for hauntings and other type of activity hasn't been as strong as, as well. So... Maybe this thing is affecting all that. I have no idea. Right. I mean, that's interesting to note for sure. How is MUFON responding to this? I know cryptids aren't really their wheelhouse, but I think all this stuff is connected. Are they getting on this with you and kind of helping to try to get to the bottom of it? You know, that's a long story, but I, I will say this. When the first sighting came out of MUFON, I jumped on it and reported it. Then after that, they had actually gotten all together about four reports. And I'm not going to name names, but the person in charge of everything in, in the state of Illinois contacted me and wanted to work together. You know, I've had my issues with MUFON over the years. And, you know, I told him, I said, well, you know, if you're going to be sincere about this and share information, I had no problem with that. Well, that didn't last long. So I, I told them, I said, I'm not even going to share information. You know, I don't even want to have be involved with MUFON on this. And for the most part, they've been staying away from it now. They had a problem with people who were following reports not talking to them. 
and they were getting frustrated and getting upset with us thinking that we were telling them not to talk to them. Well, I don't know how they do that because I don't have any of their contact information. So I wasn't talking to these people though. Later on, we did have one of the witnesses contact us because MUFON wouldn't investigate it with them. Right. That is strange. You'd think they'd be all about this, but you know, you mentioned that harbinger of doom theory that you're not really into. Of course, that is the closest association to the Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant, popularized by John Keel. He kind of brought that theory out, that it was some type of omen for the Silver Bridge collapse. And I'm sure some people wonder the same thing in this case, because there are some parallels. And it is interesting that Chicago is the gang violence capital of the country, earning it that nickname of Chirac. Could such strong emotional and negative energy manifest such beings? Do you think there could be some energetic effect somehow that's making them come into existence? You know, I think it's possible. You know, I have been following this phenomena for years now, and it does seem that these things show up at times when people are having personal issues, dysfunction, and quite frankly, I, I don't know of any city in the United States as dysfunctional as Chicago at the moment. So that may very well be something. But yeah, this harbinger of doom theory, yeah, that was perpetuated by John Keel, I believe. Right. And in the residence of Point Pleasant, when the you know the bridge collapsed, it was kind of like an excuse for what happened, I believe. But there were other things going on as well, you know, the Men in Black, the UFO sightings, and a lot of other strange things associated with the Mothman. But that's a weird area anyway, because, you know, stuff still happens there. I get reports out of Point Pleasant a lot. And in fact, I'm dealing with a couple now who believe that they were somehow affected by the Mothman or some type of other entity at one of those TNT cones several years ago, but it's still sticking with them. So I don't know how much it has affected them, though I do believe People have been affected by some things that go on that McClintock area, that McClintock Preserve area where the TNT plant's located. So, yeah, you know, and also as far as this harbinger of doom theory, there have been disasters where people would claim after the fact that they had seen something. The Mississippi River Bridge in Minneapolis, Fukushima, Chernobyl. There were people that would come out afterwards and say, ah, you know, I saw a flying being above before this happened. Well, but it's always after the fact. So I don't, you know, I really don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. And I mean, things happening near an AT&T facility is kind of interesting because a lot of times people suggest that signals in the air might be doing something to cross over into opening portals to other dimensions that again it might be some kind of frequency based thing but AT&T, Bell Labs, Lockheed Martin, how often do you find these big companies having some kind of facility nearby cuz that's something I would probably think about. Yeah, I've looked into that the only thing I can think of in the Chicago area is that they have a CERN-like collider that's been in the area for about 40 years now. Mm. It's up in the northwestern part of one of the suburbs northwest of the city. There, I've had people tell me that they've seen some bizarre things in that area, but we haven't really had any sightings there. 
it's just something that we're looking into as well. You almost got to look at everything, yeah. really. I mean, because these sightings have been spread all over the city, plus as far as 20, 30 miles outside the city as, as well. So, you know, we're taking the reports and just going with it, trying to come up with theories, people going into areas and checking them out. So, you know, we got a few possibilities. I mean, we've even gotten to the point where we're using, I'm using conduits or channelers to try to get an idea of what this is. I even have an RV group that I've been working with as well. So, um, right. You know, I, I'm almost at the point where I, you know, I will take any little bit of information and see if I can discern any type of decent information from it. Yeah. I heard you talking about working with remote viewers on this and trying to do some sessions around this creature or these creatures. Has anything interesting come out of those? You know, we've got a few possible pieces of evidence that may help us, but at the present time, I haven't really seen the connection. It's something that we're keeping on the back burner in case this thing shows up at some place where these RVs pinpointed. You know, right this time, I really don't want to say a whole lot about it unless we get something that kind of coincides with what we're hearing. Sure, sure. But you are right about those hot spots and just looking at every possible angle. I mean, you got to look for DARPA facilities in the area, military bases, any of those kind of hot spots. Because my first thought would be that this would be some kind of deep state project gone wrong or some kind of uh, occult ritual that got out of hand. It really does make you wonder. I know there's museums right in that area. I mean, Possibly someone broke open an ancient statue in the history museum. <laughs> An ancient Egyptian curse or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I, you know, that's a new angle. I haven't heard anything about that, <laughs> but you know, the Chicago area doesn't really have a lot of military installations as opposed to some other cities. There are some government projects in and around the city, some independent projects associated with the government. We've been doing some checking. I've been doing some checking, and I've been talking to people that live in the city that are familiar with things that have gone on or have been going on. So, you know, I got a huge list of things on my checklist that just, you know, at this point, it's really hard for me to kind of put a connection with these that, you know, and another thing is you check out the witnesses as far as maybe there's a connection between witnesses. This thing's going to certain people. Mm -hmm. So far, we really haven't made that connection either. Wow. Well, it's definitely fascinating. And maybe it is hard to peg it to anything. But in terms of it being a flesh and blood creature versus having a paranormal aspect, has anybody seen it? materialize or dematerialize or anything like that no not manifesting or or disappearing no nothing like that it usually seems to come from somewhere quickly then move off again but nobody ever sees where it comes from or where it goes to god amazing man and also we talked a little bit about 
the cover-up angle of it, the, the media blackout and that kind of thing. I don't think we mentioned this yet, but it's in my notes. I guess there's been four Freedom of Information Acts to the Chicago police all coming back, nothing reported, which I would think seems odd considering how many reports you've got. They'd have to have some. Oh, they've got them, I'm quite sure. <laughs> the police officer, Albert Grisham, stated emphatically that he filed a report. Now, right. you know, just because he filed a report doesn't mean they're going to release it. You know, normally when you put in a Freedom of Information Act request, it takes several weeks before you even hear back. We're getting responses within a few days. Hmm. Just stating, well, we have nothing on record. There's nothing ever been reported. I made a request for 911 logs. That was denied. Hmm. So... You know, I, I'm pretty sure they are keeping a lid on it. You know, I've heard a lot of reasons why, you know, one being tourist, because most of the sightings are downtown. I don't know if that's true or not. I just believe the point where Chicago is right now with as many issues that they do have, I just feel that they think that they don't want to pile on or something else. Right, right. And, <laughs> you know, they just don't want a whole lot of people asking them questions about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, denying those requests is definitely a bit of a red flag that shows some kind of fishiness going on. Have there been any other red flags in the investigation that we haven't mentioned yet that you've come across? Well, yeah, I've talked to a few reporters in the city with television stations for the most part. And I had at least one verified he knew about it, but... I have had other people that he worked with or they worked with that simply denied it. So, you know, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what the angle was on that. I don't know. I mean, it just seems that there is a concerted effort to keep this thing quiet for the most part. But people are talking about it. I mean, I talk to people who call me. And I asked them, well, you know, where did you hear about it? And they said, oh, it's all over the neighborhood or, you know, people are talking about it on the Internet, and, you know. So, yeah, the word's out. There's no doubt about that. Wow, man. And I guess it does seem to be more creature than man or more animal than man. We mentioned those feelings of fear and those sounds of screeching, but sometimes in cryptid encounters, people seem to lock up and sync up with these things and get some type of telepathic message. Has anything like that come through? Well, this last sighting seemed to be like that. The woman who was watching this thing, she stated that it seemed like it was, well, she said she had like a whimsical reaction to the sighting, though she was really calm when I talked to her. She said it seemed to her that this winged being wanted her to, to see it. And that was giving her a message, though, you know, I don't know. When she got ready to take the picture, the thing took the dive. So maybe it just didn't want to be seen. But she, you know, she didn't have any sense of fear or anything from it. But when she said whimsical, that was the first time I heard that before. <laughs> so I don't know. Some people have said, well, I have felt that they knew that I was watching it somehow. Some of the people, well, one couple in particular, this was on Lakeshore Drive as well, said this thing flew over top of them, flew off, turned its head, looked back at them with these red eyes, 
turned on a dime and came right back toward him again, like it knew that they had seen it. Yeah, you know, and of course, the one I mentioned where this thing ascended slowly and hovered in front of them, the reaction that they had. Now, there were people there on the other side of the street, and in fact, she didn't mention that she noticed a flash from a phone camera, so it was at nighttime. But her reaction was when this thing took off, ascended away from them, she just felt her knees. Her husband had to actually drag her back to the condo. So there have been reactions like that. There was an encounter out in Bowingbrook where this woman came across what she described as what she thought were two people embracing on a path by a playground, the park. And it was at night. And it was part of her normal routine to take a walk out there. And when she came across this thing, she did say it heard like a like a slurping sound or sucking sound. She didn't know what it was. It wasn't loud, but she noticed it. But one thing she did notice that kind of freaked her a bit was it was about seven foot high. But it was wide. Her first reaction was that it was two people embracing each other. Because it seemed to have something wrapped around it, which I believe were probably the wings. Right. And she didn't notice any eyes or anything. I'm thinking it was probably asleep or something. (laughs) Though it did turn towards her as she was standing. She got about within 15 feet of it. you know. And when she realized that it wasn't two people, she moved around through the grass enough to get to the other side of the park as she was walking away she became very very tired she said it's like all the energy was sucked out of her she had to sit down even though she kept her eye on this thing or to see where it was at when she was able to get up she headed right straight to her house Hmm. so it did have that effect on her so i don't know damn so interesting man i mean as someone who's made this their livelihood. This has to be super exciting because we're talking about the scale of something maybe that's even surpassed the Point Pleasant sightings at this point. And we're still talking about that. And we might be in the middle of something that people are talking about for decades to come. Well, I believe this is historical. As far as flying humanoid type being, these sightings, probably the largest group of sightings in one general area since Point Pleasant. Yeah. You know, any type of cryptid, it's very rare that you get a multiple number of sightings like this. The reason why it's happening now, I have no idea. But, yeah, it's pretty remarkable, and it's probably most likely a historical event. It definitely is, man. And I guess I would ask, is there anything else we should note about this Chicago situation before we look at some of the other open investigations you have going on? That's just about it. I mean, it's one of these things where... I just got to wait and see what else comes in and maybe we'll get a break, get a good photograph or, you know, get some other type of evidence that helps us to distinguish what this is, where it's coming from, where it's going and why it's around. Right. It is kind of tough to say much more than people are seeing something weird, but that alone is just so fascinating. And to get into maybe alien abduction a bit, in one blog post, you talk about David Jacobs, who's a big proponent of the hybridization theory that humans are being abducted for reproductive and hybrid making purposes. But you go on to say, 
Contrary to David Jacobs' assertions, I have an opposing opinion in reference to alien abductions based on testimony and research I've conducted over the years. Can you tell us about that opposing opinion? What's the why behind abductions based on your research? Well, you know, he admits that the evidence of basically body snatching is that abductees have been reporting similar experience, recalling common details. You know, I really don't know if he's ever gotten a case or mentioned a case like I had gotten when I was working with David Eckhart and his family. I don't know if you're familiar with that case, but... Oh, yeah, I'm leading right into it. That is a hell of a case. Definitely tell us a little bit about his. Well, basically, they lived in the Pensacola area, not really far from Gulf Breeze. You know, you're familiar with Gulf Breeze and all the craft sightings. But David was a contractor. He had built a beautiful home, what he called the home of his dreams. And he and his family had lived there for maybe a year or so. When they started encountering these small beings that were coming somehow into the bedroom, he saw them, but, you know, they were so quick, the fleeting sightings. Well, over the years, he started placing cameras in the bedroom to try to capture these things coming in and out. I mean, these things were actually destroying some of the cameras. It got to the point where the only way he could keep a camera from getting destroyed was mounting one of those corner mirrors, the security mirrors, and shining, you know, have the camera focused on that and take the reflection off of that thing. Mm -hmm. That seemed to be the only way that he could do it. And he would use strobe lights and a lot of other things, but he did capture it. He captured a, and I have it up on my Facebook page, but it's the video of this being at the doorway of his bathroom. But when the abduction started, these beings plus what I believe was an overlord, a reptilian type being, were coming in through a portal in the bedroom. And I know it sounds ridiculous and sounds ah. just so fantastical, but I'm telling you, you know, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, for the first couple of months, I had a hard time believing David as well, but he came forth with more and more evidence about these beings actually taking him to other locations, to underground locations, to underwater locations on this planet. He was cured of a real bad case of rheumatoid arthritis. It's just a fantastic story. Right. And this actually went on for almost 10 years. I mean, his family was being abducted as well, but he was always taken somewhere other than where his family was taken. And they acknowledged that, that they'd be taken someplace else. But he was seeing all kinds of things. They were showing it to him. It was almost like, you know, we're going to pick you up. Let's take a tour. Right. You know, they were showing him underground caverns where there were other alien beings acting basically as slave labor. Mm -hmm. There were also human beings that were working as slave labor. It seemed that these reptilian-type beings were the overlords, but this one reptilian was the one who came and got him each and every time. That occurred for about 10 years. By the time he talked to me, it was almost over with. And in fact, 
they still check up on him occasionally. It's like maybe twice a year around April and once another time in November. It seems to be a cycle where they just come back and check up on him. Wow. But it's a bizarre story. But I'm telling you, I and there's a lot of it I just really have not released. <laughs> I mean, there's some really horrific things he saw and described to me. Wow. Can you give us one of those crazy things that he saw? Well, I guess one of them would be when they actually took him into a an area of one of these facilities where they would dissect humans, living humans. I mean, they were awake. And these reptilians were doing the actual dissecting, and they were always cutting them from the back on in. Damn. And you saw the area where they disposed of these bodies. It was like a huge furnace, but they would descend slowly into this cauldron of some type. And that's how they would be disposed of. Wow. And, you know, I told him, I said, well, did they ever explain to you what they were doing? He said, no. He said, from what he was told, those people just never made it back. They were taken for good, basically. And he said there was another device he had seen where they would take these humans and they had other beings as well. And they put them in like a cylindrical type of transport, but it was small. They would actually shrink this thing and shrink whoever it was and put it in there. And when it would be placed in to this device, several other of these cylindrical pods or whatever they were, this is what they used to transport off planet. Nice. Almost like, you know, Stargate or something to that effect. But he was able to, you know, he, he's very good at drawing because of his work and such. And he had remembered some of the symbols he had seen. He drew a sketch of this device. He had also written down a bunch of formulas that were projected to him telepathically. I have taken these formulas to a lot of different people. They can't figure out what it is. Wow. Yeah, it's an amazing story. You know, David was on the Paranormal Files Factor Faked show with Ben Harris. And when they, then they had moved out of the house by then. But when they were there, they tried to recreate some of the things that David claimed. And quite frankly, when I talked to Ben, he told me, he said, you know, I have to believe the guy. He said, I really can't disprove what he's claiming. Hmm. I mean, I had him on our radio show a couple of weeks after the show was aired. Because, you know, I had some issues with the way some of the things were shown. But he told me, he said right over the radio, he said, I cannot dispute what he said. I mean, I couldn't tell he was faking or not. There was one instance that really freaked him out that happened. And it was something that David had told me before. When they had the truck outside, and it was at nighttime, and, you know, they had the production crew and everything out in this truck outside the house. And David was in the house. So David had told me before that when these beings came into the house, he believed that there was an electrical charge that kind of surrounded the place and got into the soil around the house because thousands of night crawlers would come up to the surface. Hmm. Weird. So. As they were filming David inside the house, David had mentioned that 
he could feel something happening. And they're looking around. They can't tell what's going on in the house. But when they went outside, there were thousands of these night crawlers all over the yard, on the pathway, on the sidewalk, the driveway. And David used to tell me every morning that he would get up after he'd have an encounter at home, he had to take the hose and wash down the driveway and the sidewalks out into the streets. The neighbors used to raise hell about it. He said all these nightcrawls being washed down out into the road. Every time it happened, these things came up. Weird. What do you think's behind that? Some type of field effect or some type of magnetism disrupting their navigation, perhaps? Oh, I don't know. You know, it just seemed that everything seemed to light up or become charged, I guess you could say, when yeah. they showed up. He said there would be power surge in the electrical line sometimes. He he actually thought that some of these beings could travel through the electrical conduits. I did capture an image in his bedroom at one point where this being was coming out of a wall about halfway and then ducked back in. It was hard to see, but it was pretty bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's basically what was going on with David. I do talk to him occasionally. You know, this was about eight years ago. You know, I started interviewing him and I'm interested to keep touch with him just to know what, you know, try to figure out what's been going on with him and his family. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's a bizarre, it was a bizarre thing. And it's interesting because for years he tried to get MUFON in Florida to get involved with it, and they just refused to get involved with it. A lot of other investigators turned him down. I just happened to see the video one day when somebody had put it up on YouTube for him, and I started asking around, wondering where this person was, where you know where David was, where the witness was. And I got a hold of him by email, and we eventually started talking. You know, Dave and I talked on the phone. I think we talked every day for at least four to five hours for almost six months. Damn. Yeah. He was showing me all kinds of video and pictures he had taken over the years. But there's so much evidence. And I really, I am kind of hesitant to release some of it. I have released part of it. But there's just so much that, quite frankly, I don't think people can handle. <laughs> you know, I don't want to start sounding like the government not disclosing anything. But Yeah, man. I personally think that some of this stuff is maybe more than what people can handle. Well, hearing about experimentation on live people and a cauldron of dead bodies is, <laughs> it's a lot to take in. I mean, that alone is a lot to take in. But you mentioned these glyphs and these formulas. Like, I've seen some pictures of those that you've posted, super fascinating. Yeah. And no educated person that you forwarded these to has been able to make heads or tails of it at all. Have there been any decent guesses? I sent it to three mathematicians, one at Caltech, one at MIT, and another at Brown. And none of them could make heads or tails of what it meant. Wow. I was thinking about sending it to someone into quantum physics. That's what David said. He thought it might be worth But I had one individual tell me that there's nothing in physics that even comes close to being able to decipher what that was. Hmm. And I brought that up because we were talking about the 
other possible motivations for alien abduction other than hybridization. Yeah. What do you think the motivation was in David's case? Is it just to transport this information to him somehow? I mean, because if he's seeing slaves and medical experiments, it's interesting that he wouldn't be used in that same way. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. There were some things that had occurred you know, one particular time. He told me that he and his family were sitting down for breakfast one morning. And all of a sudden, he saw this group of these small aliens walking out of the living room into the kitchen and just walking by them. He questioned it when that reptilian came a couple of days later. Basically, what he was told is that they were giving these other alien beings tours, that they were so fascinated by the way humans lived that they were almost like giving them a tour of David's place. Wow. I know it sounds bizarre, but he was dead serious. So I tell you, it's like I jump in the wormhole or whatever you want to call it, but every time I talk about it or think about it, it really is some fascinating stuff. You know, I have talked to a lot of people about this over the years, and there have been people that have told me stories that closely resembled some of this stuff as well. So, you know, I don't know why he was chosen to see this. They told him a few things that may happen in the future that haven't happened, and I don't know if they're going to happen, but they gave dates. You know, when the certain date comes up every year, I just kind of hold my breath hoping nothing's going to happen. This has been going now for about six years, and I'm not going to mention the date. I told David I wouldn't do that, mm -hmm. but it's every year when this date comes up, I'm holding my breath hoping something doesn't happen. Right. Wow. And you already kind of mentioned this, but I've read through his reports, and I wrote this down because it was just a really interesting paragraph, but he says, David describes seeing vast underground caverns that he was told were under the Earth's surface. In these caverns, it became obvious what species was in charge, the reptilians. There were other beings as well, namely the lesser class or greys, as well as other species. These caverns appeared to be some type of mining operation that uses manual labor. This included human laborers. And... I love anything that has to do with the underground. Is there anything more you could tell us about maybe other species he saw or the scope of these operations that are supposed to be underground? I do know that there are so many different types of gray beings. You know, you hear about the small grays and the tall grays. Well, he told me at one point he thought there were at least 11 different types of gray beings. There are some that are just workers or some that are kind of a hierarchy. You know, I've had other abduction reports over the years. It seems to me that the reptilians are more like foremen and that another group of like insectoid type beings are usually the ones in charge of everything. But I think these beings that are said to be insectoid are basically some type of reptilian that has morphed into another level hmm. like a butterfly in a cocoon basically a metamorphosis you know i believe that's actually what happens now i have talked to a few people about that 
some who say that, well, you know, you can't prove that. And I can't prove that, but I'm just going by what I hear. You know, just why what people tell me that they've seen, you know, as far as supposed hybrid, I think there is some hybrid programs, but I don't believe that that's the main reason why people are abducted. Right. I'm sure it's a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, I think the biggest reason is tissue collection or body fluid collection for certain other reasons. Maybe widening that scope out to just say medical procedures might be better. Experimentation, yeah, yeah. Damn. Huh. And also, just before we start really wrapping it up, your next book, from what I understand, is going to be on UFO encounters, right? I decided to change that. Oh, okay. I'm going to concentrate on what's going on in Chicago. Yeah, wise. Because there's some behind-the-scenes stuff that hasn't been disclosed that very well may be able to disclose later on down the road. But I want to get it down in writing. I want to get it all together, put a few of my thoughts into it, maybe a little speculation on my part other than what I've already speculated. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I don't know. I think a book may be warranted. Absolutely. I would say so. I mean, considering this is setting the record for a concentration of sites going back all the way to Point Pleasant, yeah, it warrants a book. Yeah, I really don't want to relate it to what happened at Point Pleasant. You know, all the strange activity that happened during that period, you know, there may be some correlation eventually, but, right. you know, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know where this whole thing's going to lead me to. <laughs> I mean, this thing could continue to go on for indefinite. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, that's half the fun of it. I'm kind of thinking of when the weather changes, maybe in May, when all the snow's hitting in Chicago, maybe this thing might level off somehow. Right, right. Well, you know, we also had the Great American Eclipse. Who knows if it has something to do with some aspect of our cosmic grandfather clock, you know, some kind of portal opening in relation to that event. You know, who knows? I mean, I have people that are scared to death that Kim Jong-un is going to drop a nuclear weapon on Chicago and that this is some portent of doom. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I hear all kinds of things. You know, people are freaking out, but I tried to spell that as best I can. I'm telling you. I did hear people talk about the eclipse and what was going on in Chicago. But in fact, you know, there was a sighting in Chicago during the eclipse. Huh? Yeah. And a lot of people saw it, too, because it was right downtown. Oh, It was right wow. by the harbor. So I guess one more question would be, uh, when it comes to the sightings in Chicago, what is the largest number of people that have been able to corroborate a single sighting? I guess the Adler Planetarium sightings, the sighting at the Adler Planetarium. We've had two groups that saw this thing, mm. as well as the thing at Auburn Gresham where we had the two police officers, then I had another witness come forward, had seen this thing in the nearby tree before the police had gotten there. People had been seeing that thing in that neighborhood for about two days prior to that as well. Damn. (laughs) Oh, man, that's just amazing. And I think it adds so much credibility to have a group sighting like that. Just amazing. And To have a concentration of sightings like we're having in Chicago just blows my mind. I love it. Along with all the other wild stuff we talked about. Before we do close it out, 
Please remind people where they can go to follow up on your investigations, to get your books, or, you know, to contact you with their own reports if they see something strange out there. Well, everything's listed on phantomsandmonsters.com. On the right-hand column, I've got a couple of links there to some of the bigger stories, some of the things we're investigating now. I've got eight, nine years worth of stories in the archive, as well as you can get a daily newsletter, free daily newsletter if you sign up for it. If you see something, you can call me directly at 410-241-5974 or send an email to lonstrickler at phantomsandmonsters.com or go to the website. There are several links there where you can make a report or send an email off to me. And my books can be found on Amazon. All you got to do is put Lawn Strickler or Fams and Monsters in the search and they'll all come up. Boom. There you have it, people. If you see something, say something. Lon, great talking with you. Good luck on the book. Thanks again so much. You really are the tip of the spear when it comes to cryptid. So I really appreciate you spending some time with me and updating the people on the latest. Hopefully we can do this again sometime if it keeps up. But until then, keep doing what you do, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You got it. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen, Lon Strickler, the cryptid king of Pennsylvania, the lifeblood of phantoms and monsters, one of the best cryptid news sites on the internet. And I just find this to be so fascinating. This is such a large group of sightings. Just let me run through the headlines here. Bat-like object witnessed over Chicago. New Mothman-like encounter in Chicago. First Chicago Owlman eyewitness in Oz Park. Mothman seen again by multiple witnesses. Third, Chicago Owlman sighting reported. Fourth sighting, giant bat over Lake Michigan. Bat out of hell witnessed by father and son, Little Calmet River in Chicago. Big humanoid bat witnessed over Calmet Park. Pair of large bat-like humanoids in downtown Chicago. Flying humanoid sighting confirmed, downtown. Large black flying man sighting, Calmet Park neighborhood. Truck driver observes large bat-like humanoid gliding over Cicero, Illinois. Large-winged humanoid encountered again in Lincoln Park. Jogger encounters Chicago Phantom near Navy Pier. Giant red-eyed bat flies over couple in Chicago's Lakeview. Large human-like black bat seen by multiple witnesses at Adler Planetarium. Bat-like humanoid seen flying over Logan Square. Chicago police officer reports phantom sightings in Auburn-Grisham neighborhood. Second phantom leaps from Willis Tower. Huge black shape seen gliding over Albany Park. Human shapeshifts into giant blackbird on Chicago Tri-State Tollway. Giant bat-like entity emerges from under Chicago Lakefront Overpass. Seven-foot-tall man-bat creature perched on downtown Chicago street lamp. Chicago phantom flying over Melrose Park. Winged humanoid confronts shocking Chicago witnesses. Big owl circles offshore near Chicago's Ohio Street Beach. Big winged bean observed on Chicago suburb house roof. Chicago Phantom makes another appearance at Lollapalooza. Chicago Phantom sighting, red eyes over the water. Strange creature witnessed over Burnham Harbor before solar eclipse. And shadowy bean lurking about in Chicago's Wicker Park. I skipped a lot of them there because they are kind of repetitive headlines, but that's something that I don't think we should just straight up ignore. I think it's tough to say people are seeing nothing or that they're misidentifying something which would have such similar descriptions. I also find it suspect that MUFON has gotten reports, Lon's clearly gotten reports, but Freedom of Information Act requests return nothing? 
Nobody has called the police on this, even though a couple officers are actually in the witness pool. I don't like that. Something definitely seems off there. And I know Lon doesn't really like the Harbinger of Doom angle. I think it's incomplete at best, too, personally. But I've been told Nick Redfern has written a couple pieces about strange apocalyptic dreams in the Chicago area specifically recently. So that's worth mentioning, even though I do think that that should be thought about symbolically if it's connected at all. I don't think these are signs of a literal apocalypse, but they're still something to throw on the pile of weird. And I know I'll get people saying, oh, these cryptid episodes are just dumb distractions, but I really disagree. First, I do them pretty rarely because you don't need constant updates, but it's something to keep an eye on. And I know I've said many times that I've never really seen anything, and it's pretty late in the game now to disclose that I have, but truthfully, I did see something strange when I was a kid. And I don't talk about it because, number one, I've never really heard a matching cryptid description. It wasn't a Bigfoot. It wasn't an Owlman. So I don't really have a box to put it in. Number two, it was a pretty short situation, probably 30 seconds or so. Which can feel like an eternity when you're staring at a clearly intelligent and unknown being, but it's still a short amount of time. Not much happens other than it spots you and then runs away. Number three, I didn't want to be one of those kinds of hosts that makes everything about them and puts themselves at the center of everything, and I still don't want to be that. And number four, I'm the only one who saw it, although my parents were close enough to know that I called out for them and ended up a sobbing mess when I knew they didn't see it also. And the only reason I'm saying something now, and I'm also not going into a ton of detail, is because it did come up with Gordon White when he had me on Rune Soup recently, and I think it's going to be his next episode. It feels like it would be kind of shitty to undercut that and leapfrog this in front of him. Seems like poor podcast etiquette, right? If there really is any. But I think I'm going to write something up for the forums because there have been some odd things in my life that when you put them in aggregate and you also put them in the context of a guy who ended up on the path of conspiracy podcaster, they become a bit weirder and a bit more impactful. And I do think cryptids are out there. I don't consider them flesh and blood animals, only that they can appear that way. And you can say it's a dumb distraction, not worth exploring, but if you saw something unexplainable, even briefly, you'd probably keep checking in on the latest encrypted research every so often. And so we do. I mean, biologists are getting hard over the discovery of a new color of frog in the Amazon, but they don't want to look at this stuff? Not even curious? I find that hard to believe. But anyway, that's the show. Hear me on Rune Soup this week. I'm also really happy with the next two episodes of THC that you're going to get. Both of them are return guests expanding on their previous appearances because their areas of expertise definitely need an update. And to be honest, both guests sort of come with some lifestyle or personal belief system elements that I'm not a big fan of. It's true, whether it's the consequence of being raised with a military background or someone who's deeply religious. These things don't vibe with me at all. But I sort of ignore those aspects because what they have to share is so fascinating and few can do it better. And it is partly these elements that I'm not a fan of that actually drive a person to do the research. So it is all connected. But I say this all the time. Try not to hang on every word a person says. I always see comments, well, I had to turn this off as soon as the guest said X. And I think a lot of the time, we are missing the forest for the trees. If you're open-minded and know how to interpret or even sidestep a person's biases, you can still learn a lot from them. And maybe it's my bias. 
But what I'm saying is we don't all look through the same lens. And if we can take a person's research and reconfigure it for our own lens, I think we're better off than saying, oh, this guest doesn't believe in chemtrails, so I'm not going to listen to what they have to say about the history of false flags. Or this guest drinks the Kool-Aid on vaccines, so I can't hear what they have to say about astrology. Or this guy's researched GMOs his whole life, but because he made a comment about the moon landing happening, I think he must be a disinformation agent. You know, stuff like that. And sometimes it is surprising to find out a person sees through illusion A, but is caught up in illusion B. But that's life. We're all on our own journey trying to navigate this weird reality. And I hope by now, higher side listeners can see why a person was brought here. And if they make a poorly thought out comment on something unrelated, I don't think we should crucify them. Just put them in the proper context. And that includes me. <laughs> But that was a rather unnecessary rant about something that had nothing to do with today's show. In fact, I actually like how, in a lot of interviews, when it does get political or off-topic with Lon, he isn't shy about saying, I don't know about that, or I don't really want to go there, etc. And that's a pretty smart way to be in a time where everyone is looking for a reason to pounce on you. That said, one other little bit of news. Like I mentioned, I'm going to be on the next episode of Rune Soup. I'm also going to be on the next episode of Tinfoil Hat with Sam Tripoli. And I'm going to be doing a Reddit AMA this Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. I'm really excited about it. I think it's a pretty big plug for me and the show. If you're unfamiliar with Reddit, AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. So it's like a text comment based Q&A. And Reddit can be a raw and harsh crowd. So hopefully I don't get beat up too badly. But come join in if you want to ask me some questions. I've read a lot of AMAs, so I think I know what separates a good one from a bad one. So reddit.com slash r slash conspiracy at 6 p.m. on Thursday the 14th. So be there or move on with your life. <laughs> of course, today's free show with Lon covered everything we could about the Owlman sightings, and we got in-depth into the strange David Eckard case. And in the Plus show, we tackled several other open cases Lon has on his plate. We got into underground reptilian humanoid encounters in Missouri, the strange death of Todd Sees, problems with MUFON, Dogman, Wolfman sightings in Pennsylvania, Skinwalkers, Lon's personal alien encounters, and one of the creepier things I've seen on YouTube, whether it was fake or not, flying manta ray entities. All sorts of wild stuff. Please do consider signing up for Plus to support the show and get the full episodes. I think I have one of the most honest pitches in podcasting. I don't try to pretend I'm suffering and raise a lot of drama over this or that or server costs, even though anyone paying attention knows it's been a rough summer for us. That's my shit to handle. I say sign up for THC Plus for you, not for me. If you like the show, pick it up. I keep the price basically as low as it can be because you do have to pay processing fees and service fees for having companies process the transactions. So if it's like 45 cents a transaction plus 5%, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing there at less than five bucks. So I do like the McDonald's approach. Low price, low barrier of entry, and high volume. I want people to have every reason to get the free show. So that's how we do it. And hopefully THC Plus is better for you than McDonald's. It's hard to be worse, right? But that's it for me. I love you guys. Keep your seats laid back, your glasses packed, and your pimp hands strong out there. And I'll see you soon. Your move, owl men, man bats, and odd ethereal entities of our mysterious multidimensional reality. Your fucking move. Woke up 
this morning with light in my eyes, and then realized it was dark outside. It was light coming down from the sky. Those strangers that come every night, whose saucer-shaped light put people up tight. Leave blue-green footprints that glow in the dark. I hope they get home all right. You please take me along. I won't do anything wrong. Hey, Mr. Spaceman, won't you please take me along the high side? Woke up this morning. I was feeling quite weird. I had. Lights in my beard. My toothpaste was smeared. I opened my window. They'd written my name. Said so long. We'll see. Uh-huh.